Well, good morning, New Life Church. You guys look great today, man. Give it up for yourselves for making it here on Palm Sunday. Well, that's weak. All right, so uh, now j j just testing the water, seeing who I'm working with today. I had to get y'all a little, uh, little, little woke. So uh, my name is Blake Polston. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I, we uh, are the executive directors of a ministry in downtown Little Rock called M18 Recovery. Um, basically, uh, M18, what, what that is, is it's a, a residential discipleship program uh, for men overcoming drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, we, we absolutely love, uh, love, love, love what we get to do. But before we get started, uh, I want to give honor uh, to you guys, pastors, man, Seth and Kendra. Uh, so neat, man, getting to watch uh, what, what God has done in their lives. And I, I'm telling you, man, you, you have a pastor uh, that will go the extra mile. Like, you really do. I don't, I don't know if you guys have experienced this yet in full force, but uh, th this, yeah, y'all can give it up for Seth for sure, man. Uh, th this guy once ate dumpster cheese uh, to try to get a kid to come to know Christ. And I'm telling you, man, if you're willing... Willing to eat dumpster cheese. Like, there were two youth pastors. One was on ham and an old Lunchable, and the other was on cheese. And, like, I definitely would rather have old cheese than old ham. Uh, got the best end of the deal, man. But, man, this guy loves people. He loves having fun, loves having a good time, man. And how many people know that this faith walk, man, it's not about mundane. It's about having a good time in Christ, man. I know God wants us to have fun. Uh, man, we, uh, our kiddos uh, are about the same age, uh, his, his oldest, Zane. Uh, and my daughter, Blakely, they kind of grew up together. There, there was a uh, woman conference that we had in 2018. And, uh, man, it was crazy uh, because they, they actually prayed uh, over, the, over the crowd. And uh, they, they was praying for, you know, anyone that wanted to have a baby. They said, y'all come on up to the front. And uh, we ended up with like 15 staff pregnancies, like over the whole course of that deal. And, and I'm telling you, there should have been another prayer that was like, all right, now let's pray for workers in little life. You know what I mean? Like, like, like you know, God, will you give us the blessing, give us the provision as well. Uh, and so we, uh, man, we're, we're super close. We, we love those guys, and we are more than willing to come up and help. And I love college towns. I think a lot of it was because I was a professional college student. <laughs> like, I was like, I, I was like Van Wilder. I've attended like 212 hours and still don't really have a degree, you know. Uh, it was, I, uh, I love it, man. I love young families, uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's where my heart's at. And so just getting to be a part of the culture of a town that has a university, uh, man, it's phenomenal. So uh, I am the proud, proud husband of uh, my my wife over there, Ashley Polston. Uh, can y'all give my babies up there? Like, uh, let, let's go ahead. Yeah, y'all can give it up for my wife. Absolutely. Every single day. Uh, man, like, this is us right here. That's Bella, my wife Ashley, and Blakely. Uh, that, that's us, man. We're athletic wear, national park. Whenever my wife first met me, uh, she thought I was outdoorsy. Uh, turns out I was broke. <laughs> and, uh, and parks are... Parks are absolutely free, uh, so she thought that I was just this this, this bird whisperer or something outside, outside watching watching animals and squirrels. No, not the case. Uh, so with uh, with that man, we we absolutely love it. We love the outdoors now. It's phenomenal. It's a part of who we are. Uh, getting to be a father of those little baby girls. Man, it's just, it's just something else. And so we, we absolutely love our lives in that arena. And we love our ministry, man. Uh, M18, we kind of casually skirted by that in the beginning. But we, uh, we, we have uh, capacity for 10 uh, currently. We're located in downtown Little Rock. Uh, we, in Jesus' name, one day we'll have a women's ministry. Uh, we, we've only been up and active uh, for approximately two and a half years now. And uh, since then, we've just watched God do so many miracles. We've had almost 300 applications in two and a half years, capacity for 10, and haven't even really advertised. Haven't, I say haven't even really, haven't even advertised. Uh, we, we have so many people, we have such a need to grow, there's such a need 
uh, for addiction recovery uh, just around us and in the communities. Uh, it's really tearing apart uh, a lot of families uh, every single day, and so we get a chance to do that. Uh, Palm Sunday, uh, I want you to, to touch on a verse that Seth read in uh, Luke 19.37. It says, uh, when, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. You know, every now and then, like, we need to remember the miracles that God has performed. Like, like we need to look back and remember that he is a God that is a good God that performs miracles. And it's so awesome because we get to watch these miracles happen every single day. Uh, we get to watch God come into people's lives. We get to watch chains fall off. We get to watch marriages get restored. Uh, we get to watch people's minds get renewed. Sometimes you can look at somebody when they first come in the ministry, and then a few weeks later, you look at them and you're like, oh, <laughs> You're different, you know what I mean? Like, what happened, you know? And their answer is always, yeah, I've, I've really taken Christ on in my life in a real way. Uh, I want to share with you guys some of these stories. Uh, first up, man, one of the people that we have, uh, Jacob and Sierra. This is such a cool story, a miracle of God. Uh, Jake, we actually met him. He was incarcerated. Uh, and Sierra, we met her. They weren't even together yet. Uh, Jake, he actually uh, graduated our program, uh, got back with the mother of his children. He lived a riotous life. He had three kids, three different women. I said, with a name like Jacob, if you look back in the Old Testament, you were bound to have baby mama drama, right? Uh, I, said, I said, God be with you. Uh, so anyway, he, he got back with the mother of, uh, of his oldest child, and uh, she tragically died of an overdose. And, uh, but Jacob remained strong. Uh, ended up meeting Sierra. It was kind of cool because Ashley had already known Sierra. Uh, Sierra wasn't a believer at all. Neither one of them knew anything at all about Christ. And uh, they ended up, uh, she wanted to get baptized by Ashley. Uh, they met later on and uh, they ended up, we actually got to do their wedding not too long ago. And so now uh, they are two parents following Christ, raising three kids in Christ. And so can we get over God for some of the miracles that we get to see? This next one uh, is Daniel and uh, Daniel and Sarah. Uh, Daniel, he uh, started off at 13. Uh, he was in juvenile detention. Uh, his dad uh, taught him how to sell dope. And next thing you know, uh, he uh, was living that lifestyle. Uh, he ended up in foster care uh, at 13 because his dad uh, threatened to kill him. And uh, he ended up wandering the streets. And uh, it's like, you know, we judge people sometimes, but like, man, do you know their story? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what was supposed to happen? <laughs> like, like, how did you see it playing out, you know? Uh, so Daniel, he uh, ends up incarcerated naturally. Um, we actually met him and, uh, and, and we started discipling him. He currently works on staff. He's got custody of his 13-year-old daughter back. He's met a young lady. Uh, they're, they're pretty serious. And uh, it's just amazing watching what God's done in his life because now he does the same thing that we do. He teaches on stage. Like he's, he's in school of ministry. Uh, he's our program director at M18 Recovery. And so God has fully restored this man's life. And it's an absolute miracle. Right? And uh, we, we, got, we got a couple more I'm going to go through real quick. Uh, JJ and Grayson, man, JJ, same story, in, in and out of jail his entire life. Uh, finally, he uh, got it right, went to M18, and uh, just this past weekend, uh, we call it the royal wedding. Uh, he married one of our uh, camp, or one of our pastor's sisters, and uh, they had 24 people in their bridal. Thing. Like, we, we, they couldn't even fit across the stage. I was like, you are aware that the royals don't even have weddings this large, right? Uh, but anyway, JJ's been restored, and uh, every single day, uh, we get to watch people that are radically transformed. And uh, I promise you, man, God, he is in the business of miracles. 
He truly is. We get to watch it every day. It's like we are in a, the gates of a leper colony, just watching Jesus touch people and watching their lives healed. The, the, the reason that I want to share this with you guys is because you need a refresher in the supernatural transformational power of Christ. Like you guys need to understand that God is still in the business of healing. He's still in the business of restoring. He's still a good God, not just in your life, but the lives of the people that are around you. Sometimes we forget that God can heal your children. Like you forget that God can heal your neighbors, your, your bosses, like your coworkers, the, your gas station attendant, like whoever it is. When God touches you, things are different. My wife and I, we uh, are both addicts. Uh, we, we've been radically healed, delivered, whatever you want to say about it. Uh, and and we, we, we believe that God has healed us from that horrible part of our lives. Um, and, but the thing that us both being healed from addiction does is it gives us, like I said, the supernatural ability to believe in others. But the thing that I wouldn't trade my past for, for anything, is it's because it is what has given me purpose today. Like, I'm not standing on this stage because I went to seminary and I just learned a lot about the Lord and, you know, God just always was there and we were just walking hand in hand. Like, no, that's not it. Like, I was a horrible drug addict who shot meth for the bulk of my life and God rescued me. Like, that's the story. And that is why that we are able to do what it is that God has done us because it's a direct link to our past. Uh, I told Seth that I would share a little bit of my story and uh, I typically don't share as much about what my past was like, not because I'm ashamed of it at all, just because it's not about me. It's about the resurrection power of Christ. It's about God's ability to heal you. It's about no matter what you're going through in your life, God can pull you out of it. And then the cool thing is he will use that for his glory. That's the only reason that I am here today is because somehow God found me. I didn't find God. He found me, and he pulled me out of that pit, and he set me on a firm foundation, and he gave me a purpose and put a new song in my mouth. And because of that, I am able to tell you that I was the chief of all sinners, but God completely resurrected me. Look, Pastor Rick met me in rehab, y'all. I don't know if y'all know Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick is the founder of New Life Church, but he actually met me in rehab. Show, show what I was like in my past. Look, I'm telling you. Try getting on a plane looking like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I look like Saddam Hussein's love child. Like, y'all can Google this. Not right now. Pay attention. But I look just like when they drug Saddam Hussein out of the cave. Death. It was absolute death. And so if you don't believe in the power of the resurrection, right, like there is nothing that I have that is the same that's in common with that guy right there. Um, with our story, I think it's absolute paramount that we all figure out how that we can share and how that we can communicate what it is that God's done in our life. In Revelation 12, 11, Scripture says that, and they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Like, how awesome is that, that our testimony is in the same sentence with the blood of the lamb, right? It's like the testimony that God has given us, what he has pulled us out of, that is the proof of the resurrection, we have to be willing to tell people. It's like the eyewitness. Like if you're in court, what do you want? You want an eyewitness. Why? It is the proof. We have to testify. Every one of us have to figure out how that we can glorify God in all situations and circumstances and how that we can share our story of how that we came to know Christ. Why? Because people are dependent upon it. 
People need to hear the story. They need to have that relational aspect and that component in which that you can share with them how God saved you because that's what's going to make the gospel real. Some people aren't going to find it in the Bible. They're going to see it through you. It's going to make them curious, though, and they're going to dig deeper, and God's going to show himself. We uh, actually had a, a guy, uh, he's, he's a teacher at M18, his name's Pastor David. I think that might be what's on his driver's license, I don't know. Uh, that's what I know him as, Brother David. Uh, but David, man, he, uh, he has this phenomenal testimony. He told me one time, he said, Blake, he said, I just really, he said, I, I met Christ at a young age and I never departed. I said, dang, so I need to hear that. I got girls, uh, you know what I'm saying? All I deal with is chaos. Like every move I make as a parent, I'm just trying not to end up in a group therapy session. Like, like that, that's how I parent and how I live my life. But you don't have to have had a meth lab in your basement or have pawned your wife's wedding ring for heroin in order to have a testimony, right? Like one of the most powerful testimonies that I have ever heard was that of Pastor David, that he just found the Lord at a young age and he walked with him and then he become a pastor and now he leads other people into Christ and volunteers his time teaching at a residential recovery facility because he likes to see people set free. What a testimony, right? Like we need that power in our life. But uh, my story, just a little bit about it. Um, I started off at a young age. Uh, I was a great kid. Now, don't ask my teachers because... We might have differences in opinion. I don't know, but I felt I was very reasonable. Uh, I felt called at a, at a super young age to, to be a pastor. Like, I remember I went to church and I, and I told my, my leaders that I was like, hey, I was like, I think that this is what I want to do. Like, I, I want to help people for, for the rest of my life. Like, that's really the only thing I can see myself doing. And man, they painted it out to be like the worst possible job that you could ever have and like really just discouraged me from it. And I was like, wow, I don't want to do that. They're like, you better be prepared to work overtime in a factory 40 hours and 50 hours a week and then go home at night and neglect your family. And I was like, ah, like just so that you can pastor people on the weekend. And I was like, man, I don't really think that that's something that I'm interested in. And, uh, and, and I remember that I, I come to know Christ, though, at a real young age, and, and it was a very real thing. Like, I could feel the palpable presence, man. I remember after I got baptized of, of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I just, I wanted to do something with that, but soon it faded, you know? Anything that you don't nourish, it will eventually fade in your life. And, um, and so as that, uh, I continued in church, uh, my, uh, my family, I went home one day and I was like, hey, I was like, let's do Bible studies, you know, like what nine-year-old does that. And, uh, and so they did one and I still remember it to this day, but that was it because they were on drugs. <laughs> and so they never fostered that within me. And, uh, and, and shortly afterwards, I, my parents abandoned me. I was 13 and uh, they, they left me. Uh, they came back. Uh, it was a boomerang thing, but uh, they. Uh, but for a year, I didn't know where they were. <laughs> like, I mean, they, they literally left me, and I moved in with my grandma. And uh, so, if you, you know, I was 13, and so growing up, I mean, going through that, you know, stage in life, uh, it was just difficult. Um, but by the time they got back, like, I was happy for them. I found out they went to a place much like M18. They went to a recovery facility, and um, in that time, I, I, I was glad they were back. But I'd already lost all respect, you know, for. For my family, and so whenever a, a young person loses respect for authority, uh, the the outcome is, is never going to be great. Um, I, I ended up I, I got strung out on drugs, and throughout that process, I uh, tried to go back to church uh, whenever I was about seventeen uh, because I knew the answer. I got strung out at about fifteen, and uh, they the church that I went to told me that my parents were going to hell if they didn't get divorced. 
um, because it wasn't their first marriage. And so they were living in adultery. And so if they didn't separate, uh, they were destined for hell. And uh, I'll never forget that Wednesday night service. Uh, I just got up and walked out. I said, this isn't for me. Uh, I said, I, I refuse to believe in a God that's going to condemn my parents to hell for something like that. And uh, so I did it. I, I went completely agnostic. And uh, the, the first thing that I want you guys to know, lessons from life that, that I have for you today, is that discipling our kids must be a priority. It has to. They're the next generation. They're what we are leaving behind. In Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 19, it says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Like all the time we should be talking and we should be engaging with our kids about this. Look, if we don't teach our kids to live a life controlled by the Spirit, they're naturally going to gratify the desires of the flesh. We need them to know what they believe while they're still under our roof and in our house because we can't send them to college with a weak understanding of who Christ is and what their beliefs are. If we don't, they're going to go to college and somebody else. You know what? They're right now in elementary school indoctrinating our kids with stuff that's, com not, that's the opposite of what we believe in our faith. Whose job is it to teach our children? It's ours. Some practical application points. Eat together as a family. Discuss the Lord. Make it a regular part of your day. Let them see you pray and worship. Don't just do it in secret. Like, let them see you. Engage with them. Let them know what it is that you're doing. They need a model. They need something to imitate. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We should allow our children to be privy to what it is that we do with our faith. Some of you guys help fund these activities, man. Like, we need some financial contributions to, to help these kids out whenever it's time for Collide Conference, man. Sponsor them if you're able to, because we want to send them on mission trips. Why? Because we want God to have a chance to operate in their faith in a very real way. And so we want to give them every opportunity possible. It's our legacy. It's what we're going to be leaving behind. Make faith a priority, right? Like, if it's not a priority whenever they're under your roof, what makes you think that it's going to be a priority when they go somewhere else, right? Like, we have to get these core values and concepts within our children. Get them to church. Get your kids' friends to church, man. Bring the whole baseball team here. We'd love to have them. Talk about your faith. Talk about how it applies to controversial issues that are going on in society today, man. Like, they're going to have to find it out from you through a Christian perspective. If not, they're going to seek out these answers from the world. And I promise you, that's not what we want. And uh, while I was in college, um, I, I had an encounter with God that solidified my faith fully. Uh, I went from agnostic to an absolute believer. Um, I would have died a martyr, without a doubt. Um, but still didn't know what it was like to submit my life to Christ. You know, there is a huge difference between believing and submission. In James 2.19, it says, you say you have faith for you believe that there's one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe in this, and they tremble in terror. Man, I've just learned that there's the, the chasm between belief and literally saying, not my will but yours be done, can seem overwhelming and almost impossible to cross. Y'all, I rededicated my life three different times in three different New Life Church buildings over a span of eight years. I desperately wanted change in my life. I wanted to be different, but I couldn't figure out how. 
I don't care today if you are here and you feel like that you are the absolute worst of the worst and you don't know how many more times God wants to hear that, that I dedicate my life to you and you think that you have exhausted everything, every opportunity. I'm telling you, he loves you. He's here for you and he wants you to do it again. There's times in our life where we have to just give in. Sometimes we have to do it over and over. Scripture says we need to die to ourselves daily, right? Like every day, wake up, make a fresh dedication to Christ and receive his grace and mercy. And don't walk around in the guilt and the shame that the enemy wants to paralyze you with. Get up, pick up your mat and walk because that's what God wants you to do. In Philippians 1.6, it says that I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Some of you guys, all of us actually, are works in progress. God is continuing to complete his work. So I had a brilliant plan. Uh, I, I woke up one day, uh, whenever I was in college, had a moment of clarity. Uh, actually, it was after college. I realized I had literally squandered my entire education. Uh, I had attempted too many college hours to get any more student loans. Almost have a degree in five different things. I uh, had tried 212 college hours, uh, and, and it was just, I, I partied my way out of college time and time again. And uh, so I decided, here's what I want to do. I want to learn how to manufacture drugs so that I can sell them, so that I can pay off my student loans, so that I can go back to college, so that I can finish my degree, so that I can get a good job, so that I can find a wife, so that we can start a family, so that we can get back in church. All right, so that is the world's weirdest way to come to know Christ. But listen to me, I know that may be extreme and sound absolutely insane, but some of you in this room are trying to clean yourself up before you come to Christ, right? That's all I was doing, it, it just in a very comical, elaborate fashion. And, and so the second thing I want you guys to know is you don't have to clean yourself up to come to know the Lord. He will meet you right where you're at. If for Easter today, I told you guys that we were going to send a team of housekeepers to your house to clean your place, some of you would freak out, like, like because you will want to do the cleaning before the cleaning crew actually got there because you don't want anybody to know how nasty you actually are, all right? Look, game recognized game, right? Like, I, I, I get it. Like, I'm not throwing with stones, I'm telling you. Like, you don't come up with that analogy without you being the one that you're talking about. And, uh, but, but some of us do that with Christ. Like, we want to clean up ourselves before we come to know the Lord, but in all reality, he already knows how stinking nasty you are, and he loves you anyway. While we were still sinners, he died for us. God loves you. All he wants you to do is come to him, to turn around, to repent from your sins and walk towards him and allow him to do the one that does the cleaning. We cannot clean up ourselves. This is God's job through the power of the Holy Spirit. What I didn't know in my addiction is that God doesn't repair you. He gives you a new heart. He makes you new. The same thought patterns racism. In Philippians 2.13, it says, for God is working in you. Check this out. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You see, I don't have to fight today to do some of the things that I once did. Why? Because I'm not the same person. 
anybody who comes to know Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, right? And, and so whenever we think that we can clean ourselves up good enough to come to Christ, then we eliminate the power of the cross altogether. What Jesus did coming up on Easter Sunday with the resurrection and the crucifixion is enough. If we will come to Christ, he will give you his spirit and he will work in you to purify you and cleanse you. So ended up moving forward with my plan. Uh, you know, like it sounded great on paper. I can't imagine what would go wrong. Uh, and so I moved to my family's farm, northeastern Arkansas, and uh, started making drugs. I uh, locked myself in a uh, trailer on my family's farm for about a year and uh, didn't really go talk to anyone. And uh, it didn't work out. Uh, I, uh, I was absolutely miserable. Uh, the crazy thing is, is uh, I, I didn't even really sell any of the drugs. Like, I knew what they did to people, and I was in such a miserable state. I didn't want anybody else to go through that, and so I pretty much just consumed everything. I, I wasn't doing drugs at that point so that I got high. I was doing it so that I didn't want to kill myself quite as bad. <laughs> like, like, it wasn't like a fun thing for me. Uh, it, it was a dependency, not an addiction. I tried to convince my mom of that. I was like, I'm not addicted, I'm dependent. You know, like, I, I, I don't know. But uh, it, it was what my drug addict mind had concocted. Uh, but the night that I realized my brokenness, that I realized how deeply sick I was, um, I had needles all over my house. And, uh, and, I, and I remember I had this poster board and I drew like this arm and like this bicep. And I mean, just in my, you know, ignorant drug addict state, I was going to throw needles at it like it was a game, you know. And uh, I just remember breaking down in tears because I couldn't figure out how you win. Like, I couldn't figure out the purpose. Like, what was I doing to myself? Like, even if you couldn't draw that on a, on a poster board and come up with a game and you couldn't figure out how that you win, like, what more was I doing to my life? And, and I just remember breaking down and crying out to God, and, and I, just, I just needed a change, but I didn't know how to stop. It was my life, everything about it. I was isolated. I was alone. I was a drug addict. I didn't have any positive people around me. Like, what was I going to do? And in that, I just I remember crying out to God, and, and all of a sudden, things started shifting in my life. It didn't get better instantaneously, but the ball started rolling. But the third thing that I want you guys to know is that life is meaningless without an afterlife. You see, just like me in the darts with the bicep, what was I doing in that state? I was seeking pleasure. I was trying to get high. Like that was my mission in life, was to feel good. We might not do it to that extreme, but I'm telling you, we do the same thing. We seek after sex, we seek after relationships, we seek after validation, we seek after meaningless recreation and mind-numbing television, and like that's all that we do. But I'm here to tell you that without an afterlife, I might as well still be in that trailer shooting dope. Because what does it really matter? If when we're gone, that's it, what's it matter? But... If there's an afterlife, then shouldn't our life today reflect pointing towards that? Because that's what lasts forever. Time and time again, we see in scripture how it says that life is but a vapor. Life is but an instant. It's like the morning dew. It's here, then it's gone. Is what we're doing today lining up with pointing towards the afterlife? Heaven's real, guys. I'm telling you. I, I remember one time, I, this is the first time I've ever told this story, I think, from a stage, but... 
I was, uh, man, I was high as a kite on ecstasy and youth. And uh, I was in a warehouse party, and uh, it was a rave in like 2000, man. I was, I was getting it, you know, I was just dancing. And, uh, and, and I just remember I have felt better in my natural body than you could ever feel. Like my senses were heightened. Like my, I mean, I was just, I was feeling invincible. And I heard something in my ear say, heaven's better than like the best you could possibly feel. No stress, no worries, no guilt, no shame. I mean, just high as a kite. And so you guys who have never done drugs, like I'm just telling you, there's a reason that the drug held on to the name ecstasy. <laughs> like it, it, you feel in absolute bliss while you're on it, but then you crash and you come down. But what God was saying to me was in that state, that heaven is better than this. And in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.19, it says, however it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is real. Can we align our lives in a way that points towards eternity? That's all God wants you to do. He wants you to give him the glory for what's going on in your life and to help bring other people. Do you know the only thing that you can bring to heaven? It's the people around you. Look around. The only thing that you have a chance in bringing with you are the people that are, that are surrounding you. I think that is magnificent, and it definitely changes the way that our perspective should shift. So naturally, plan didn't work. Uh, and uh, my, my little brother was spending counterfeit currency at a local gas station in the community that my family had lived in for about 100 years. Uh, they knew us. And so we uh, w w woke up one morning and uh, I, I was sitting there and, uh, and I was just waking up and I, I hear the cops coming in. And I was like, here it goes. But whenever they arrested me and they put handcuffs on me, I told them, thank you. I said, I don't know what's next. I said, but it's better than what you just pulled me from. And there in handcuffs, I, I remember saying, God, use me. I'm done. I was 30 years old. I didn't have anything to show for anything. And, and I remember telling God in a real way, I give my life to you, not just as Savior, but as Lord. You have to lead me because I can't. Hey, don't get me wrong. We all need Jesus as a Savior. But if you want change in your life, Make it Lord. Whenever you start following Christ, you start adhering to his principles, you start inviting the Holy Spirit into the decisions that you make, that's when stuff's going to change. That's when mountains are going to move. But the cocks kicked in my door, and I was sitting there, and I was manufacturing just about every chemical known to man, lost a little live. And uh, I stayed in jail for about 35 days, you know, who's counting? Uh, and, uh, and, and at that time, I'd met with my grandmother, and, you know, sitting in a little cubicle. Some of you know, some of you don't, uh, but this little steel box with a plexiglass in front of it. And uh, I told my grandma, I said, hey, I said, I haven't asked for anyone to get me out. I said, I've actually quite enjoyed it here. Um, I said, but uh, you got to understand where I you know, came from. And, uh, and I said, but I said, I'm about to have to start fighting. You know, it's jail. Uh, I, I said, and there's no way around it. I said, and I don't want to do that. I said, I would rather try to go somewhere and uh, get out. And uh, anyway, I go back to my cell and uh, I'm there. And uh, I, I come back because they said, Paulson, you got a visitor. Well, one thing, you, you don't get two visitors. Uh, that, that's just not, not how it goes. And uh, there was a man there. 
and uh, he was the executive director uh, and founder of a ministry called John 316 Ministries. Uh, if you're east of Russellville, it's, uh, that ministry is a household name. Uh, it's a 200-plus bed men's facility on 300-something acres in northeastern Arkansas. It's phenomenal, beautiful, does great work. Um, but the director and founder, um, he, he showed up. And uh, he says, Blake, he said, I just want to let you know, he said, I talked to the prosecuting attorney. Um, he said, I told him that uh, years ago I was your stepdad and I had an opportunity to do Bible studies with you then. He said, and I didn't take advantage of it. He said, I told him that I would like that chance now. And uh, so the man that uh, started and founded John 316 Ministries was actually my stepfather. And he was the man that abandoned me to go get help. Uh, and because of the help that he received, uh, he was able to start another ministry that's led thousands to Christ and saved thousands and thousands of families. And so I, I want to let you guys know that God will redeem your past. He will allow you to do that. Some of you guys right now, you think that it's over with. You think that you've already, you've already used up all the grace that you can possibly have, but God can redeem you. He wants to. And those moments that you've had in your life that were heart-wrenching that you don't want anyone to know about, those are the ones that God wants to give you true healing from. Because if you look, whenever Jesus died and he was resurrected, the proof of who he was was located in his scars. He told Thomas, he said, put your fingers in my hands, put your fingers in my side, do what it takes because it's the scars that are the proof of the resurrection. God wants you guys to be healed from the worst things that have been in your past so that he can bring you up and he can resurrect you so that you can help others overcome. I'm telling you, in those moments when I thought that I was abandoned and I didn't think God cared about me, all along, he had a purpose in my life. He wanted me to be able to help the people that were addicted, that were afflicted, that were hopeless. And so he sent the same man that abandoned me to come back and get me whenever I was incarcerated. I thought with all my heart that God, or that, that I was going to stay at John 3.16 for the rest of my life. I did. Uh, as soon as I stepped on the campus, uh, man, beautiful. Uh, it, it's phenomenal. I, I said, you know what? I said, God, I said, this is why you've created me. I uh, stayed for about two and a half years. And uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't know uh, what, what, what the future held, but I just knew that, that it was going to be there. And uh, all of a sudden, man, I just lost, lost peace with it. Uh, I said, you know what? I said, this place is going to be fine without me. I said, I think that, there needs, that, that I need to be somewhere else uh, that actually needs me. And uh, I put in a nine-month notice. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you know what? I said, I'll give you nine months. And, uh, and Brian said, we're not going to do that. <laughs> he said... If we're dealing with the Spirit of God here and you truly feel called out, he said, I believe you hear from God. He said, I think you need to go this week. Wow. He wasn't being rude. Uh, he, he just said that, that that's the way that he feels. And I said, all right. I said, well, we'll do that. Well, the last week that I was at John 3.16, Pastor Rick Bizet from New Life Church, the founder and lead pastor, he, uh, he showed up. And uh, we, we was looking at the ministry. Someone had brought him there. And uh, we started, uh, we had a meal together. I was there with three or four other people. And uh, Rick started inquiring about my life. And he said, you know, what, why are you leaving here? And I, and I told him the same thing I just told you guys. And he said, well, I want to, said, I want to sow into your life. And uh, I said, what does that mean? And he said, I, I want to take care of your rent uh, for the rest of the year. It was like four months. And uh, he said, and I also want you to stay in touch with me. What Rick didn't know was that he was the only person God could have sent to let me know that I was making the right decision by leaving because of the three times that I had rededicated my life, the new life, over the span of eight years. Listen, God has a plan. He has a plan for your life. 
he's not a respecter of persons. This isn't a story about how that I'm called or how that, that I'm special or anything like that. It's a story about the power of God and how real that he absolutely is. And he's not a respecter of persons at all. The same plan that he had for you when you were a little, little kid, the same dreams, the same visions that, that God put in your heart. Do you know the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable? The same little kid that wanted to be a pastor, but then got beat down by the world is the same kid that's up here talking to you today. The same kid that you have inside of your heart before you got worried about building a wealth or before you got worried about being a husband or before you got worried about having kids, before you got worried about any of that, that little kid is still within you. God wants to give you the desires of your heart, but first he wants your heart. Whatever you give to God, I promise, he will give back in abundance. Fourth thing I want you guys to know is that it takes a crucifixion to have a resurrection. Years later, I got to do the, uh, the, the funeral of the niece of the DEA agent that arrested me. So you can only imagine the last time that man had saw me was whenever I looked like a terrorist. I was in a bathrobe and hadn't bathed in seven days. You know what I mean? Like the irony of that. But I got to do the funeral and he asked me, he leaned in, he was curious. Like he knew that I was different. He said, Blake, he said, what, what's different? He said, why do I arrest hundreds of people and I never see this? He said, what is different? He said, what did you change in order to make this transformation? And I said, one thing. He leaned in. I said, everything. <laughs> like, that's it. Everything. Like, if we can give our life to Christ and just lean in with all of our heart and allow Him to dictate the rest of our lives, things will change. People will notice and people will get saved because of it. We celebrate Easter Sunday coming up. He said it was finished. Would He? came to this earth to do, it's finished. Now we just have to walk in it. We shouldn't walk to victory. We should be walking out of victory. Like the victory that God has given us. He just wants us to call on him and he'll do the rest.